0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast. I am the voice you never hear, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, the man behind the curtain. And we have a special episode today because uh, we're a little short-handed. I think Steve is out on the golf course Neil is realizing his dream as a Las Vegas Rockette. Adam is on vacation with the uh, the family, I presume. And David, you're the only one that just couldn't come up with an excuse not to be on the show this week. So uh, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Uh, you're welcome.
1: I uh, cut short my motorcycle ride, especially to come back and chat to you, JB. Uh,
0: I appreciate it. Um, we've got a good show today. Uh, you recently were just in Bologna for the launch of the Ducati moto e-bike and i wanted to talk to you about it because i think that's a fascinating project and you've got all the details so um let's just jump right into it and start uh maybe with energica and where the moto e series is now and what they've been able to accomplish with dorna in terms of creating a dedicated electric motorcycle racing series
1: yeah i mean the 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 point of moto e uh, was it was a way for dawner to explore the future of electric racing um now there was no point in them doing it as a as an open class as an open series because they the the level of machinery is so different and so uh sort of varied that the racing wasn't going to be very good. The most important thing for them was to create exciting racing uh and to get people to the used to the idea of electric racing. Um that certainly works because it's been very very exciting and if you compare it with for example with the TT0 uh, which I, you probably know more about than than me where you've had massive differences in performance and, you know, over like a one-lap, I think it's a one-lap race. One-lap race. uh, Yeah, you've had sort of, you know, difference of of minutes and minutes. And if you look at the performance of the various different bikes, you you would think that they would end up uh, with riders being lapsed. Sort of even over the, uh, the 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 space of sort of seven or eight laps, um, it's been built by Energica. I mean, they, they uh, basically Energica took their sports bike, the Ego Energica Ego, converted it to a race bike, um, and sort of raced that. That that has been the traditional sort of route uh, for it. Because a lot of the electric bikes were built by specialist companies. I mean, you know, there hasn't been, there's been lots of traditional manufacturers who've built electric scooters, but none of them have really sort of ventured into the electric uh, motorcycle market. Um, and I know that one of the concerns was when MotoE was concerned, was launched that they were going to have a spec series was, the manufacturer had to have the sort of financial backing and the the engineering ability to actually service and supply uh, I can't remember how many bikes it is. I think it's uh, 18 or 20 bikes, you know, a full grid, um, uh, and make sure that they all work uh, and have a, be able to produce spares uh, when people inevitably uh, crashed uh, and just, you know, basically make it work. And, of course, they got to a really bad start because uh, the first test in Jerez in 2019 uh, a charging station caught fire, and the, the half of the bikes went up in flames. Um, and they had to postpone. Uh, I think they'd been due to start in Chret, and they ended up starting at Le Mans. Uh, so yeah, it, it was um, it, it was a difficult start, but you know, once they got underway, uh, it was uh, yeah, it, it's been fairly successful. We've had sort of a variety of. Riders, we've had some reasonably talented riders on the bikes as well, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, Domi Eggert is, uh, he's no mug. Um, uh, Jordi Torres is also, a number, you know, these uh, I mean, they're not, um, uh, they're, they're, they were never going to beat Mark Marquez. Uh, but the fact that uh, Domi Eggert is, you know, winning the, uh, leading the Moto E Championship, uh, has won a super sport championship. He's going to win a super sport championship this year. Um, that sort of uh, shows the level of it, uh, I think. And uh, I, it, as far as sort of that is concerned, I think that the series has been a success in uh, launching the idea of electric bikes. That one of the problems that, which the Energica had was um, cooling. It was it it wasn't a it wasn't a proper water cooled. Uh, engine or water cooled battery, really, because the thing that you're cooling is the, is the battery rather than the engine. Um, and I remember the first test that I went down there. I mean, when you walk past the garages, there were just, uh, fans everywhere. I think they basically, uh, uh, the, the, team especially went out and bought every possible, uh, fan from every electrical store in, in Jerez. In a desperate attempt to try to sort of you know lower the temperature because lowering the temperature allowed them to charge the bikes faster and get more performance out of the uh, out of the batteries as well. So it was um, it, it's been an interesting development, and I think that's also what is so interesting about you know Ducati stepping
0: in. Yeah, no, you, you touched on a lot of really good points there because um, you know just going speaking back to the the picking of a supplier for the Spec Series. You know, we, we talk about, you know, I hear it on the podcast, you know, Ducati supporting eight bikes on the grid, whether or not Suzuki can have a satellite team, is it really going to be able to support four bikes? Like, these are huge manufacturers that glo- that are in the game globally, and we're talking about them supporting four or four bikes instead of two, as if that's a huge undertaking. Now, expand that out to 20 bikes. That really puts in perspective the challenge logistically, that a company like Energica is gonna to have to face and Ducati will have to face in the coming season. Uh it's no small feat. And then to make sure that there's performance parity amongst the bikes and you're balancing, you're not giving a, an unfair advantage. Um, you know, that's not something to to be dismissed. And then to see the the setback that we had at the beginning of the season, like you said, with the the fire, in a lot of ways that really Um, disrupted Energica's plan because this, this season was supposed to be the season that they were going to unveil an all new bike. Because, like you mentioned, the, the Moto e bike, um, the Energica Corsa is based off the street bike. And I've ridden the street bike and the Moto e bike, and there's a pretty, pretty big difference between the two. And I've even, I've even raced the street bike. Um, and it's a pretty capable machine. It's definitely thermally limited. And the race bike is, has some of those restrictions. Um, are, are better uh, uh accounted for let's say but you know heat is a huge huge issue and, I, and as we get into the Ducati bike I really want to talk to you about the the heat management because Ducati has an interesting solution for that but um it's really interesting to see and I've gotten to ride the a couple of the um TT bikes as well the Moto SIS and the Lightning uh and to see the progression the technology there like you said like you know that's why we're doing a spec series, because if you look at the TT, there was such a huge disparity. You had Motos and Mugen were really the big two players, and then it was kind of a field of of bikes that were, you know, large steps behind them technologically. Um, and I would place the Energica right up there. I mean, it's interesting to see where the level... That they're at and we have to understand that in the marketplace and where the technology is now like we are at the very very cutting edge we are pushing the limits of uh, battery technology technology especially but also motor and inverter technology in terms of uh, power to not only weight but size size is a huge uh, issue when you get into motorcycles it's less of an issue when you get into cars because cars are a larger platform it's easier to have uh more mass and and places to put things on a bike it's you know quite compact um so it's quite the the technological hurdle and to see how the energica performed i got to ride it at valencia um i mean it's a heavy bike it's definitely top heavy you definitely feel it on the brakes but it's really, it's really quite enjoyable. Like if, if Energica came out with a track bike for, let's say 40, 50 K, I think that would be an interesting proposition rather than buying like a Pantagolli V4 type motorcycle, um, especially with the charging times. If you have a track that has uh, the charging capability, it could be a fun thing to, to use. And the next step in that technological progress could re, you know, commercially very viable.
1: I mean, did it feel like a, like a normal sport like a normal sports bike i mean did it feel like a heavy sports bike or did it feel uh, uh, or was it you know like you say top heavy
0: yes and no it, it's it's a very different experience um so coming down the straight at valencia is like what 130 140 miles an hour and we're talking world superbike spec brakes on these machines You, it is a lot of bike to stop. You are hoping for dear God that that motorcycle is going to stop. You can definitely feel because it's, uh, I want to say off the top of my head that the Nergica is close to 580 pounds, 560, something like that. Yeah, it was two.
1: Uh, if I remember correctly, it was two sixty kilos, two sixty-five kilos, something, uh, something, uh, something along those lines. And they took, uh, they dropped about fifteen kilos this uh, uh, this year. They were asked to reduce the weight, and they did. So this year, the bikes are actually,
0: you know, what is that, thirty-five pounds so yeah. lighter than they were last year. Yeah, you're going to make me do the kilos to pounds conversion in my head, but yeah, it's right in that range. And you definitely feel the mass when, when you're, when you're doing a linear, uh, weight transfer, like braking or acceleration with less so on acceleration because there's so much torque coming out of the motor that hides the weight, uh, very well, but on the brakes, especially down the, uh, the front straight, you know that you're on a big bike. What's interesting though is, and I've ridden bikes of similar weight on the racetrack, uh, a Suzuki Hayabusa is, is in the same sort of category of weight. Um, where you really notice the difference between, let's say, the Moto E-bike or the Energica uh, Corsa bike versus something like a Hayabusa is is in the turns because you don't have that rotating mass of the crankshaft and the flywheel and the the stator and all that. Um, There's less rotational mass, so it's it's in a way easier to handle through the turns, um, especially at speed, but at the same time, It corners differently because because you don't have that gyroscopic force, it doesn't hold the line uh, on the turn as easily as as a internal combustion engine does. And so when you talk to some of the higher level racers, they'll talk about how they're using the rear brake to to kind of tighten the line and how to 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 augment the, the turning to kind of simulate what's going on with with a gas bike uh it's very interesting to see the kind of workarounds that that they're using and and you see some of the racers now are using a thumb brake uh or or uh, a scooter brake so it's like a clutch uh lever uh, cuz that's easier to modulate than a thumb brake um because using the rear brake is becoming a big part of riding uh, an electric motorcycle at speed um it's a big part of of, of riding a, a racing bike
1: you know That's I, true. I think I think people underestimate how much um, people actually use the rear brake you're not using the rear brake to actually stop the bike you're using the rear brake to help the thing through the turn sort of thing and it' it's actually a trick that i have <laughs> I I learnt on roundabouts, you know, like going round a roundabout. There, the, I mean, I ride a big, heavy bike, and a really good way of getting around a roundabout is using the uh, is using the rear brake to actually get the thing to to sort of get um, get around the get around the corner. And I even use it on my bicycle. So I've got there's a very narrow narrow passageway which goes leads, leads sort of um, round to my back garden, and um, I can ride my bicycle down this narrow passageway. There's a couple of really sharp twists and turns and i'm using the rear brake on that just to get it around the corner so um yeah back brakes rule man
0: if i recall correctly dave you were getting some pretty obscene uh, lean angles on those roundabouts what was it 75 degrees lean angle
1: yeah 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 (laughs) yes yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it was not entirely, uh, uh, it, d- it didn't go completely to plan. Yeah. Fortunately, I was only doing about 25K, so I don't what is that. It's, uh, you know, uh, not going very fast, but uh, it was winter and I got a new motorbike and I wanted to uh, uh, I wanted to have a go. And um, yeah, it didn't, didn't quite work out. Fortunately, I was going very slow, so there was no, the only damage was to my ego. And
0: now it's on the podcast for everyone to know. Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> it's my role. My role on this podca- podcast is to be virtually humiliated
0: by all my co-hosts. You are kind of the whipping boy. I feel sorry for you sometimes when I'm listening to the show and editing it out. And I feel like, oh, maybe, maybe Steve went too far with that comment and we'll leave it <laughs> out. And it just never happens. So, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> bud. Um <laughs> Back to Mudo E. It, it is interesting. I do I do feel bad for Energica in a way because that fire really did kind of set their timeline back. Um, Energica is owned by C- the CRG group. They're better known for their work in Formula One. And interesting enough, I wouldn't – there's probably someone in Energica that would disagree with me with the statement. But in a way, the company is the marketing arm for CRG because of – uh non-disclosure agreements and and the secretive nature of Formula One. They can't talk a lot about what they can do for automobile race teams and automobile manufacturers. So they use Energica as a way to showcase their work. Um you'll see them talk a lot about like their 3D printed parts, the 3D um printed bodywork, the the swing arm and and things like that that are pretty impressive on what they can create. And so um you know, their first business isn't necessarily making motorcycles. Well, Nergica's is, but CRG's isn't. And, you know, this season was really supposed to be the season of like, okay, we started with our street bike and now we're going to bring in a dedicated, you know, clean sheet race bike. And that didn't really get to happen. And as far as I know, we may still see that come to fruition for on the consumer side. Um, Nergica just got bought out by a, uh, a private equity group, but, um, so I'm not quite sure if that's changed their business plan, but uh, uh, it, I, I am curious to see what the next iteration of this bike would be in Energica's hands, but I am also very excited to see what Ducati is going to bring to market and um, maybe you can, you can speak a little bit about, about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, just one quick note about Energica. I mean, like I was in Mugello when they showed the Xperia and that looked like a, you know, like their big basically sort of... Is it a sports tour? Is it an adventure tour? It's a, it's, it, it's sort of that, that, um, segment. Um, The bike looks really good. I mean, honestly, the uh, fit and finish on it is all very good. It looks very good. And uh, although I haven't ridden it, I'm actually hoping to get a go on one sort of when it's actually in production. Um, Everyone I've spoken to who have ridden it say, you know, it feels like a really great bike. It's a really fun motorcycle. So it looks like, you know, Energica can build, a motorcycle, a motorcycle which works and which works uh, works well. So uh, that I think is is an interesting development. And you, you wonder next time I see someone from Minergica, I'll have to ask them how much of the input they got from from racing into uh, their sort of bike development. Um, but yeah, the most interesting thing about Ducati is that it's a completely different concept. This is a motorcycle company. That knows motorcycles, that builds motorcycles. I mean, you know, they're motorcycling, the the motorcycles they build are fantastic. They are superb um, machines. And their target was to build a racing motorcycle. Um, One of the most, and when I say a racing motorcycle, you know, a racing motorcycle which is electrically powered rather than building an electric bike which you can race. they faced some really interesting choices. Uh, I mean, like, it was some of the design parameters were, you know, basically they have to be able to, um, Run a complete race, which is sort of seven to ten laps, depending on where the uh, depending on the racetrack. Um, uh, have everyone compete, and you uh, know, have everyone be competitive, uh, and have everyone have full power from the start to the finish. Um, they had a choice between making a more powerful bike or making a lighter bike. And they chose to make a lighter bike. They went, they produced a bike which is, which is 225 kilos, which is probably 500 pounds, something like that,
0: 500 and something I think it's- pounds. Four ninety six off the top of my head. I think it's under five hundred pounds.
1: There we. I mean, that's that's already a huge. You know, that's two twenty five kilos is a um, sort of. I was looking it up. It's sort of a. Uh, it's a bit of a lardy sports bike, if you like. It's sort of, um, but it's much closer to sports bike territory than uh, uh, than some
0: of the other electric bikes. Yeah, uh, I think um, if you took a off the dealer. A showroom floor, super bike filled it up with gasoline. I think a lot of people would be surprised at how close it is to that weight because a lot of the claimed, you know, wet weights are grounded less in reality. Let's say, um, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I
1: actually, I actually did a lot of when I was writing the uh, writing the article about motor uh, about Ducati's motor e bike. I was like trying to find out how much these bikes weigh, and it, it was. Um, there was a lot of dry weights being uh, sort of being mentioned. but I mean you would have to say that if you probably filled it up with gas and oil and fluids and all the rest of it, then yeah you're going to be uh, yeah, I mean you're probably sort of 20 or 30 pounds off of the off of this weight. And the other thing yeah. is um, when it's fully charged, uh, whether it's fully charged or empty, the weight doesn't change. Yes. Um, which is one of the things when you're racing uh, when you're racing a a, 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 a gas bike, a, a, you know, a, a bike with with a liquid fuel. Um, it's often quite difficult the first few laps because you are pushing a bike with a lot of weight, um, relatively high up, even in a MotoGP bike where the fuel is all sort of that uh, they try to store it as low as possible or as, as near to the center of the bike as possible um it's still you know 10 15 kilos extra what's that 20 30 pounds extra which is pushing on the front wheel as you brake. so uh, that uh, and that changes as you go And you don't have that with a uh, uh, with the with the or well, with, with a with an electric bike um it was interesting hearing uh, Michele ipiro say about the bike that it felt really like a normal bike you know if it felt like a, uh, the, the Panigale. It felt like the the MotoGP bike when he when he rides it. Um, and I mean, obviously he's Ducati's test rider, so he's paid to say that sort of thing. Um, but he didn't. He, he didn't look like he was. He, he looked like he meant it. Put it that way. Um, and I think this is again to come back to it. This, this I think is the objective. Of Ducati was to build uh, a, um, a motor, you know, to, to build a racing bike. You saw that with this, especially with the shape of the battery. The battery has been shaped to fill the space left empty by the fuel tank and the engine and the rest of the uh, various gubbins which you need to make a um, uh, to make an internal combustion engine. Um, so it's not, a, if you look at the Energica, it's basically a big box, uh, uh, you know, d- d- which contains the battery. Um, and this isn't, this is a rather elegantly shaped um container, basically full of uh, full of standard batteries um, the standard uh, Tesla cells I think which um, as far as I could tell they're more or less like a double a
0: battery I think uh, uh, pretty, pretty yeah much. they're a little bit bigger but yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah. They're, they're, they're that kind of cylindrical uh, that kind of cylindrical shape um, they chose this firstly because it gave them much more freedom in actually shaping the uh, shaping the battery. Uh, and managing the weight distribution, which was a really really important part of, uh, of it for them, um, and also I think it, it helped. Uh, it also helped because it allowed them to actually water cool the whole battery, so the entire the, the entire battery is water cooled. And in fact, if you look at if you look at the front the front of the bike, it looks like a normal. Um, you know, internal combustion engine because it's got you know the massive radiator for the for the battery pack, and then it's got the smaller radiator at the bottom, uh, which is for the which normally would be for an oil cooler, but it's a separate uh, cooling circuit for the inverter and uh, and and uh, for, for the motor. So it's uh, you know, looking at it, the, the bike it looks
0: fantastic. It looks really really good. It looks like a you know, it, it looks like a race bike. It looks like a property, Cotty. Yeah. It's interesting to me um, just watching this. When I started this career 13 years ago, uh, that's right around when electric motorcycles were being, um, electric motorcycle startups were kind of working in earnest. I mean, electric motorcycles have been around for a long time, but that's when we started seeing Zero, Bramo, Mission, Motos, uh, uh, you know, later Alta and and, and other brands after them um, come into the market. And it's been, really interesting to watch how rapid the progression has been um compared to internal combustion engine it's like watching the internal combustion evolution but in fast forward you know where we're we started out with a lot of air-cooled bikes now we're starting to realize like hey the thermal part of this is a big deal and now we're seeing a lot more uh water cooling coming in but it's been kind of limited and i think ducati really is the The first electric motorcycle I've seen that has a proper full-size radiator, split radiator with, you know, what would traditionally be a water cooler and then an oil cooler. Um, But, you know, they have that split radiator set up for the motor and the battery pack. And that, you know, to me, it's like it seemed kind of like an obvious thing, but it's been interesting to watch that progression. Um, Before we get too far into the technical bits, uh, which I want to hear a lot about from you, I want to talk about just how crazy it is to think about Ducati being a Moto E supplier because um, from my own personal perspective, I've talked to uh, Claudio Domenicali several times, the CEO of uh, Ducati. I've talked to him several times about uh, electric motorcycles. And if I can do my best Claudio impression, it would be like, oh, Johnson, you're crazy. You're crazy. Why do we make electric bike? The the gas bike is so good. Um, I really would have. I probably would have bet my house that Ducati would be the last brand to do... An electric motorcycle. And here we are seeing them as kind of like the first proper OEM making, uh, uh, an electric motorcycle, you know, taking over what, what Energica started. And that to me is interesting, but also it's interesting because when you do talk to Claudio and you do talk to some of the more, uh, petrol head minded folks in the paddock, they talk a lot about e fuels. They talk a lot about hydrogen. They talk a lot about, you know, alternatives to electric and, um, it's interesting to see that like ducati is kind of you know grabbing this baton because i think that I would have i would have guessed a different other brand you know we heard about this contract was going to expire um we were hearing you know harley davidson with their live wire brand we were hearing you know maybe uh ktm and uh, ducati i would say was the dark horse in that race yeah no they were absolutely the dark horse but
1: i, I also wonder because ducati have sort of shifted from I mean, 20 years ago, Ducati was simple. It was uh, an L-shaped V-twin, um, uh, you know, 90-degree v- V-twin um, in a sports bike chassis. Um, now, they almost went bust that way. Um, they got turned around. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company that, that bought them. I'm sure you know. Um, Back in the 90s, that, TPG? Yeah exactly yeah texas um, pacific group exactly turned it, they actually turned the whole thing around um uh, the, the, i mean it, it sort of started with the monster which is uh an almost an urban runaround sort of thing you know it's a it's a fun bike um it's not a it's not a sports bike and since then you know we've got multi striders we've got uh you know we've got the desert sled we've got all sorts of Things which are very much not um, traditional. Uh, the Ducati Scrambler, all of these things. These are these are not their traditional market. They've gone from being uh, a manufacturer which builds V twins to a manufacturer which builds V fours. You know, so much of it is is a V four. So they've sort of realised that you know Ducati is a brand, and this was something that Dominic during the uh, during the presentation um, emphasised. You know, Ducati is a brand. It's really really important um for Ducati to be a brand there's, i mean in reality there's only two brands in motorcycle real brands you know there's Harley Davidson and there's Ducati and by i mean like by brand is pretty simple if people are prepared to um uh, buy sort of aftershave then that is that <laughs> That is a brand, you know, like no one is buying, no one is buying sort of, you know, Yamaha aftershave or um, uh, uh, Honda grooming products. You know, you might be wearing it. You might buy a cap or a T-shirt or something. Um, But Ducati and and Harley Davidson really are the
0: massive brands. I'm going to bring that up in the next business meeting I have. This is the new (laughs) metric of of your brand success how much aftershave you can sell.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the, uh, I mean, I'm sure someone will correct me on this, but I do re- remember hearing something about uh, the the fact that Ferrari makes far more money actually selling um, uh, merchandise than uh, than sports cars. Um, so, yeah, the, the, we have this brand. It's really important for them. Uh, this brand, I think, that also gives them more freedom to actually experiment into electric bikes. Obviously, mm. there, there's a push inside. Um, I mean, not just Europe, but, you know, all over the world to, to, towards stepping away from internal combustion engines um, or at least uh, burning fossil fuels in combustion engines. Uh, and there's lots of ways of doing it. And I think the, 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 the clever thing about Ducati's decision to go into motorway, because it was a, they took this decision very very quickly Um, they basically took it at the beginning of last year when it was uh, when it first came up that that this opportunity existed Uh, they basically built this bike almost from scratch in 12 months which is uh, it, 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 for that spec of machine is is, is pretty amazing. Um, they also have an enormous amount of. I mean, they have an advantage in that they're working closely. And they not only have the Volkswagen Audi Audi Group as their uh, as their backers, uh, but Audi Group also has uh, Lamborghini and Porsche. Some very high performance, uh, you know, high performance cars who were also making that same transition into electric uh, into electric vehicles, and so they had a lot of um, a a lot of expertise to fall back on, Um, and they were. I I think the uh, leader of the project his first port of call was to go up to. Uh, Audi's electric vehicles uh, sort of center to find out as much as possible about the uh, uh, you know uh, about all of the things which were which were available. So you know all of the technology which which were uh, which were available.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see that uh, Ducati is using uh, an 800 volt system. I would say traditionally in the space, the high performance electric superbikes were between 400 and 500 volts. And 800 is uh, an interesting number because that's kind of where the automotive sector is uh, is headed. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, uh, uh,
1: Lamborghini and Porsche uh, are both using mm-hmm. 800 volts. And yeah. the, 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 yeah. the choice for 800 volts is... Uh, um, because it allowed them, it was a weight saving thing. So by increasing the uh, increasing the voltage, you can run thinner wires because you can get uh, basically. I mean, like uh, it, uh, why I think of volts is uh, is in terms of a slope. It's like water running down a slope, sort of thing. Um, if you want to move water more water from one place to another, which if you think as as, as current as water, you know, electric current as water, uh, you either uh, you know dig a deeper channel or a bigger channel. Uh, or or you make the slope the, 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 make the slope steeper so that the uh, so the water flows through it more quickly and that's exactly what they've done. They've gone for this uh, for an 800 volt um, uh, system because it allows them to do everything more quickly. It, it allows them to produce more power. It allows them to use lighter cables. It allows them to use a smaller engine or a smaller motor and a smaller inverter. Um, it also allows them to charge the system more quickly. I think yep. so. Yep. It had lots of things. Again, just um, to come back to water cooling, one of the reasons to actually select water cooling was it also allowed them to uh, re- start recharging the bike immediately after a session um, uh, to you know to, to start bringing it back because again this is really important and this I think is also a step towards the future I mean it is very clear that this is this prototype is there for Ducati to learn to understand how to build an electric sports bike they said you know like we're going to build an electric sports bike um, uh, it won't necessarily look like this but this is going to this is the uh, a proper this is the prototype where they will do all of their learning all of their lessons uh, uh, and you know to try to understand how to build uh, something for the road
0: yeah, in all my conversations with Ducati management recently, the, the the prevailing thought is it's too early with where we are with the battery technology to make um, – I should back this up a little bit. The name of the game is parity. The name of the game is having parity with electric drivetrains to gas-powered drivetrains because that's that's the standard. You're not going to buy an electric bike if it gets half the range, goes half as fast, and is half as much fun – as a petrol bike it's just that's just the nature of the beast that's you and i would not be interested in those kind of products the biggest limiting factor to having parity is the battery technology we have very efficient motors we have very compact motors we have very efficient inverters we we are understanding the battery management systems the software side of it uh very well but where we are with the battery chemistry and the packaging and the cooling I would say at least a generation off of what is going to help us achieve parity and my understanding talking to Ducati is they understand that they see you know there's technologies like solid state that are very close to being commercially viable we already see automata, automotive manufacturers testing them um, for for use in production vehicles the the number we keep hearing is three to five years now I keep hearing that every year so take that with with what it's worth it's been three to five years for the past three to five years (laughs) but it's very close it's very close and my understanding with ducati is they see that horizon coming soon like this is something that's going to be this last little bit this last limiting factor is something that we can overcome in the foreseeable future so let's learn Everything we can about everything else so that it's ready and perfect and we have a a top tier understanding of it. And when the battery technology catches up so we can have parity, we're ready to pull the trigger and go and have a viable product that's going to be enticing to the type of consumer that Ducati is used to selling motorcycles to
1: yeah and the other thing is that um uh, as of 2024 um within MotoGP they start to shift to uh, non fossil fuels so basically uh, synthesized hydrocarbons the horribly um, named e fuel yeah, well, yeah, I mean, Dawn, I haven't even specified that it has to be e-fuel. E-fuel is generally uh, hydrocarbons produ- produced using electricity, you know, like basically using uh, chemistry to produce, uh, uh, taking energy from electricity and using chemistry to produce hydrocarbons. They haven't yeah. even said that, that you can, you can produce them however you want, um, but you have to end up burning, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the aim is to be carbon neutral. Um, uh, uh, carbon neutral from, uh, well to wheel, as they say. So basically, uh, you know, burning hydrocarbons, but uh, not adding any extra uh, carbon dioxide into the, into the atmosphere. Um, so Ducati already have this. We already have this prospect for uh, e fuels uh, going into the future. Um uh, Ducati are going to be learning about that, uh, uh, or I was going to say for free. You don't learn for for free, but I mean they've already got that path open to them. Um uh, This is a, a, a second path for them to explore, or to for them to to learn and to understand. And also, it's a fa- it's a safe environment. You know, it's an environment where you are going to have what is it, eighteen or twenty Ducatis all fighting against each other in Moto E that's really good. Uh, you know, you're not going to get shown up by riding around at the back. You're going to be able to put on a good show. Um, uh, so it's also a safe gamble. And
0: I don't know how we didn't talk about this Dave. The Moto E racing is good racing. Yeah. It's fantastic now, racing. It, it's like, uh, if, how would I explain this? If, if GP is like the heavyweight boxing match, Moto E is like the bare knuckle scrap in the parking lot afterwards. You know, those guys are going at it. uh, Guys and girls actually are going at it tooth and nail for, for just a handful of laps. And it is good, clean, hard racing.
1: Yeah, I mean it, 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 it's a sprint race because of the nature of the mm-hmm. because of the nature of the bike. You know, it's a sprint race, and the Michelin's uh, Michelin tires are quite soft. Uh, they tend not to. You know, they they will do the what is it seven to ten laps. Yes, soft. They're very soft.
0: Yes, indeed. They're not quite soft. They're very soft.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you so you can really push. They can really, they can push right from the start to right to uh, to right to the end, um, and that produces great racing. It's basically like it's like it's Moto three. On on very heavy bikes, um, uh, so, so that that in terms of uh, in terms of uh, marketing, viewed from a marketing perspective, there's not much to lose by taking part in Moto E. You know, as long as your bike works, unless they all start catching fire. But Ducati have been. Generally, pretty good uh, in terms of reliable uh, in terms of reliability for the past sort of a decade or so, even twenty so even twenty years. The, the, the bikes don't really go pop, um, uh, and they seem to know what they're doing in terms of in terms of the of building this e bike. The other really interesting thing I found during the presentation was Claudia Domenicali was really really enthusiastic about hydrogen. Um, yeah, and th- th- there's two ways of, of, of using hydrogen. One of them is to to run it through, I um, uh, can't remember the name now, but anyway, converting it to electricity. Um, uh, so basically, you- oh, like a fuel
0: cell?
1: Yes, that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, you, you, you're taking hydrogen, running it through a fuel cell, producing electricity, and then driving an electric motor. Um, but what uh, Dominicali was enthusiastic about was actually using hydrogen as a form of internal combustion. Uh, so basically just burning uh, burning hydrogen because the thing about burning hydrogen that, is that's that the,
0: the Italian man that I know that's yeah, like exactly the, that's the Claudio Domenicali I would expect of. have like how can I make a bigger explosion in a motorcycle engine yeah, that's well, the kind of crazy I expect from him
1: yeah exactly I mean this is this was the I mean he was enthusiastic about it for a lot of reasons so first of all when you burn hydrogen it um, uh, leaves no residue so you've got a nice clean engine um, which is great. That's also really good for, for example, maintenance and all that sort of thing, because it means you're not getting, you know, you don't have buildup of um, all sorts of crud on your uh, on your valves. You don't, you don't have, you know, carbon build uh, carbon buildup on all sorts of things, which creates heat spots and all sorts of sort of internal problems. The second thing is um, uh, hydrogen burns uh, remarkably well. Um, uh, <laughs> A little too Another well. Another understatement. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he did say it does burn a little too well sometimes. So, um, uh, but that also means you don't have to play around with like ignition advance or anything like that. You know, you stick your hydrogen in and you uh, uh, you light the match and it goes pop, and you don't have to worry about um, uh, flame propagation. So there's a lot of a lot of engine design uh, goes into the sort of the shape of a combustion uh, the, of a combustion chamber and uh, the air. And the swirl and all the rest of it, because you're trying to get this thing to burn as as quickly as possible. Um, you're also having to run very high compression to 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 actually you know get it to burn as, as well as and as completely as possible. Um, hydrogen really 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 wants to burn. So again, it's one of those things which you you don't have to worry about. You really do not have to worry about. You just you know stick it stick it in the piston or stick it in the cylinder uh, and. Uh, Put a spark and and it goes pop. You don't have to worry about ignition advance uh, uh, and all those all those other things. And you also don't have, really have to worry too much um, about uh, emissions in the sense that if you leak a little bit of hydrogen, you know, if you if you've got too much valve overlap and you and you're losing hydrogen, I mean, it's going out unburned but that's not a problem. But you know, unburned hydrogen is not going to cause the same kind of problems that. Uh, un- Burned uh, hydrocarbons uh, tend to create for all sorts of all sorts of other um uh, in all sorts of other areas.
0: Dave, do you get the sense that it's interesting listening listening to you talk about, you know, Claudio's kind of thoughts on hydrogen. Do you do you feel like there's going to be a multi-pronged approach here as we go forward to, to motorcycle yeah. design? Are we yeah. settling on electrics or do you think Ducati's going to settle on hydrogen or
1: No, no this is said?
0: He was very he was very explicit, saying like there are three
1: approaches we're trying them. He also said you know this is something we're already working on. He's already working on on hydrogen engines. I mean the problem with hydrogen is storage more than anything because you need. I mean you know there's uh, we all remember the Hindenburg and uh, the, the the this whole storage thing is a bit of a is a bit of an issue. Um, but if they can solve that, then uh, the, then there's a real path forward. And he said very explicitly, we've got three different approaches to carbon neutrality. We need to be, we need to end up uh, carbon neutral. We need to end up making sure that our propulsions uh, or the, the propulsion system we use does not um, uh, increase the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, The other reason for doing all of this is also to get ahead of legislators. They want the freedom to be able to choose what kind of uh, propulsion system they use. And so, by actually researching electric bikes and e fuels and hydrogen, they can go to legislators with research, um, especially the EU, because, I mean, um, there are a number of, there are a few legislative superpowers which uh, dictate the kind of uh because their markets are so big uh, which dictate what kind of uh, vehicles get produced and that's basically you know the US and Europe um uh, the EU is uh, will be banning internal combustion engines from 2035 uh, but uh, at the moment that is not for motorcycles motorcycles right, will that's just be just for alleged. cars and trucks yeah yeah it's just for cars and trucks um and so when legislation does come down for uh, uh, for motorcycles then really what they want to do is to be able to present um, uh, present legislators and say, look, this works, and this works, and we've got all of this works, and it's all carbon neutral. We've figured out how to do it. Um, and that, I think, that was very much the sense that I, that I got that through the motorcycle manufacturers, uh, uh, it, well – the approach is to learn as much as possible, and then to be able to present uh, legisl- legislators with, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the uh, this is the, the the possibilities of the future.
0: Let's let's dive into what Ducati's created because I feel like we've been walking around uh, uh, the edge of it. And let's um, let's just get down to the meat of it. For you know. If I was a better host, we would have done this at the beginning. But uh the numbers off the top are 495 pounds, 225 kilos, ready to race. 150 horsepower—that's about 110 kilowatts peak power. 100 pound-feet of torque, which is 140 newton meters. It's an 18 kilowatt-hour battery pack running on an 800 volt system. Charges to 80 percent about 45 minutes with the uh, onboard 20 kilowatt charger, which is which is an interesting choice there. Top speed of 170 miles at Magello Track that sounds like a spicy meatball to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to obviously be very fast. It was also interesting. So, for example, the Energica, I think, produces 210 newton meters uh, of torque. That's a lot more torque. Uh, Also, this revs a lot higher than the Energica motor does. This spins to 18,000 RP. So, um, again, it's uh, – in the end, the limiting the limiting factor is not torque. It's how much of that torque you can actually get onto the uh, uh, onto the tarmac. How much of it you can convert into motion. So the limiting factor is is tire grip. So how much of the tires will actually be left? Domenicali and GK, they wouldn't mention uh, lap times. They did have like a they did have target lap times in their head. Uh, but again, they wouldn't mention it. But you would sort of think—I mean—they have to match. They obviously have to match the uh, Energica lap times, and you would imagine that with a bike which is much lighter, uh, producing similar amount of po- uh, a similar amount of horsepower and a bit less torque. Uh, they should be able to, uh, you know, sort of match that. And the top speed figure, um, the top speed that they were doing it at, at Magello is, is I think about one k an hour faster than the Energica was was clocking. So the bike is fast. You don't need to worry uh, worry about that. Or it was also interesting the weight balance. So the, the weight distribution yes. is exactly the yes. same, or almost exactly the same as the Panagali V4. Um, Very and, interesting. Uh, to see the way i think it's
0: uh 56 percent front wheel no, 50 54, uh, four, 54 54 46
1: so it yeah. is uh, and i think the the, the panigales is are like 53.5 or something so yeah. it's like re- absolutely right in that ballpark so it tells you what kind of a motorbike is. and also it tells you this is you know it's going to feel much more like a much more like a motorbike
0: I, I I have a uh, two wheel scales. I've never had a chance to put an Energica on it, but if I had to guess, it is significantly heavier in the front than than the back. The the one of the most difficult things I had racing the Energica was getting that bike to to turn the way that I wanted to. And it's a lot of the that there's a lot of chassis limitations, there's a lot of setup limitations, there's a lot of weight limitations just in the way that bike is is built. And Seeing that the Moto E-bike is now, let's say, a generation further along than where Energica started at and and hitting performance figures that are, are in, in many regards surpassing the Energica, I think without a doubt that it's going to be uh, a faster machine. I'm very curious to see what those lap times are going to look like.
1: Yeah, and I thought also again. I think it's going to be much close to like a proper racing machine, if you see what I mean. Precisely because all the magic is in the battery pack. You know, they they put a lot of effort into getting the battery pack into such a uh, form as to produce a standard motorcycle. Um, they put. Also, all of their budget into the uh, battery pack and into the inverter and into the motor. And they, I mean, they haven't exactly skimped on the, uh, on the, on the suspension, but suspension and brakes are pretty much, so they are standard high end stuff. It's the stuff that you would find on the Super Legera. Um,
0: yes, the suspension straight off the Super Legera.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, which tells you it's very, very high end, but it's not a MotoGP spec. You know, it, it's not sophisticated as you will find in Moto2, for example, um, or in world superbikes, but it's not far off and it doesn't really need to be. It's going to be plenty, uh, uh, it's going to be adjustable enough, um, uh, and powerful enough to manage the uh, you know to, to manage to, to be managed as a race bike and for people to be able to play and, you know and set it up and get it get it usable
0: did you see the specs on the brakes though uh yeah the, the gp4rrs i think so which is i mean that's a good caliper but uh, you look at the brake disc size it's a strange let me see if i can pull it up in my notes it's a strange diameter but the, the one that really got me was the thickness of the rotor is almost twice as thick. they they said they're testing between six point eight millimeters and seven point four millimeter thick brake discs. A typical street bike is four millimeters, and a typical mm-hmm. race bike you would see like Moto America BSB club racing would be about five millimeters. I, I don't know what Moto G P spec brakes are, but for me I was sitting there going like they're putting a lot of heat in those uh those front brakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well that's yeah yeah i mean that that's what happens when you go quite fast and and have to stop 225 kilos yeah and they're steel they're not carbon i thought that was interesting yeah. too and i went, when i reached out to them about that they said it was it was a, a cost savings They're yeah you know, exactly. they wanted these bikes to be affordable for the teams to 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 operate
1: yeah and there's um, especially in a spec class like that there is no i mean um there is no, there is nothing to be gained for anyone uh, apart, well, apart from the brake and suspension manufacturers uh, from putting high end components on there. You know, like it, it, you can, sure, you can spend, you, you can throw sort of, you know, a five hundred grand at a, a, a braking package for the uh, for the for the season, but you'll never get that back from your sponsors, uh, and it doesn't move, it doesn't do anything for the series. You know, it's, it's bad for the series. Much better for everyone to be using the same package, so everyone had to have. Competent, uh, uh, competent components which will work, which will do the job, uh, and let the racing. Because the, like, to me, the most fascinating thing about this whole thing is it's a proper prototype. This is this is a genuine prototype. This is the most prototype machine uh, on the grid next year because. Um, it's built completely from the from the ground up as a uh, as a racing bike. Uh, there are no compromises. I mean, the, the the compromises it had to be within the performance package, um, sort of demanded by uh, demanded by Dorna. Um, but you know, there's there, there's no there's no sort of like street. There's no street equivalent. This is a prototype from which they will develop a a, a street bike, which I think is uh, is fascinating. It's it, it's um, I suppose the nearest thing is a bit like the Panigale V4. I mean, the Panigale V4 was basically the GP15. Uh, I asked uh, Vincenzo uh, Vincenzo di Silva Silvio, who was the R and D engineer uh he's the head of R. he's the head of R&D the, the whole thing is a is a um uh, it's a collaboration between uh, uh, R&D and Ducati Corsi, which again is really interesting they, you know they they built a they put together a team event or a, a team of engineers from both uh, uh both departments both the, the racing department and the R&D department uh the R&D department did most of the bike um and uh, Corsa did a lot of the electronics, the strategies, uh, the bike uh, the vehicle dynamics, if you like. Um, they also did a lot of simulations, so it's also done lots and lots of stuff on their track simulation. Um, uh, and th- again, sort of that whole process it really is, I mean it really is like feeding into
0: street bikes into street production, but it's coming from from this racing background. David, I want to pick your brain more on the electronic side of this uh, in a second, but we've got to take a quick break for advertisers and we'll come right back. Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 Glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. And we're back, David. One of the things that I find incredibly interesting to see a brand like Ducati working on a project like this is the amount of just expertise and experience that they have in kind of the, let's call it the soft skills. They're not soft skills, but it's things like, software design, data management, the ability to program advanced traction control algorithms, wheelie controls, use IMUs. Um, no discredit to Energica, but they're a new motorcycle company in a lot of ways. They don't have uh, a plethora of racing data. This is a, a, a something that comes with experience and knowledge. And to see a company like Ducati coming into the space with that is is pretty enticing. What do they talk about in terms of the software package and the the different uh data management uh, processes that they're using
1: they didn't speak about it a lot other than that to say that 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 was the part which had been left completely to Ducati Corsi. Now, we know Ducati Corsi worked very, very closely with Magneti Morelli. Um, uh, but, yeah, basically the the whole vehicle dynamics side, which is basically torque maps and, you know, wheelie control and traction control and engine braking, all of that system was uh, left to Ducati Corsi. It was up to Ducati Corsi to manage that. Um, obviously they have an enormous amount of data on that they have an enormous amount of experience with that uh, they know exactly how that whole thing works um that i found that interesting and also I, I like you expect it to be very good um again part of it is you know like regenerative braking is going to be a, it's going to be a big part of this as well uh being able to um running I I can't remember I was uh, I met Adam Child who used to work for MCN and now works now as a freelance I was talking to him about it and he was like saying uh, when he raced the I think he raced the Mugen maybe at uh, he raced at, at the TT Zero he raced one of the electric uh, one of the electric bikes Um, and he said basically, like, they turned the whole, they turned all the uh, electronics right down, uh, the the engine braking electronics, and they were just like treating it like a two stroke, letting it run into the corners. Um, uh, Ducat, you've got much, much more experience with this. And again, having that weight balance, you know, like 54, 46, there's a lot of weight on the rear there. So you can actually use the, use the rear to help stop the bike, which is what you, you are seeing. Uh, certainly in Moto GP, um, to an extent, Moto Two as well. It's much more important to actually use the rear of the bike to uh, to, to help stop the bike. Uh, and if you're using it, it, but you have to understand the way that the rear wheel behaves when it is actually um, when it when you are stopping the bike, when you are using sort of torque, you know, engine torque uh, uh, to stop the bike. Um, and if you can use that and produce, you know, and generate power as well to to, to send back to the back battery uh then it starts getting very very it starts getting very interesting but you would expect this bike to behave like a race bike because uh the engine characteristics and all the rest of it that is all managed by uh by Ducati Corsa
0: yeah and as you start you know you talked about regenerative braking as you start dumping energy back into the battery you start creating heat And that kind of, you know, is a great segue for us to talk about Ducati's uh, heat management system, which for me is probably my favorite part about the design of this bike. I find that to be a a very forward thinking and well thought out uh, approach to managing uh, the kind of heat that these kind of these machines are creating.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it is a split system so there's a very large was one large radiator uh which cools the battery pack and there's a smaller radiator which cools the inverter and the motor. Uh and the reason it was split up is because they have very very different uh, cooling characteristics. Um the or, or cooling requirements uh, the, the the battery pack he wants a very as stable a temperature as possible. Um not too low and not too high. Uh, and you also want to be able to um, dump a lot of heat very, very quickly. Um, so you need a much larger, uh, basically, cooling system. And if you do that... Um, if you use that same system for the for the motor and the inverter, then then you change their characteristics. You know you, you're you're not letting that sort of run into uh, um, uh, run at it at its own temperature, but also again you know with the electric motor the electric motor will be producing a lot of heat, and it's much easier um, to uh, level out the um, you know just basically manage the temperature keep keep uh, keep the temperature running as smoothly as possible um, or, or as uh, keep it as, as level as possible By having two separate uh, two separate systems, and uh, that again, I think comes from the engineering side. That comes from Ducati's engineering side, where you know, uh, from their internal combustion engines, where they understand, uh, you know, uh, managing temperature is a is one of the key parts of managing an engine. You know, not overheating, making sure that you can dump the heat. Um, Funny thing is, when I was at the uh, when I was at I noticed that, for example, because actually it was quite cool in the mornings. Uh, Aprilia, uh, I mean, we've all seen the people sticking gaffer, you know, bits of duct tape on a um, uh, on uh, on a radiator. Uh, Aprilia actually have custom-made uh, plastic strips which they which they can actually like, you know, clip on and unclip uh, uh, to remove. Because it's quicker, it's faster, and it's less wasteful sort of thing. So, it, I mean, the fact that it is worth them actually manufacturing these things tells you how important it is and how precise it is to be able to manage uh, temperature and that it's exactly the same for in an electric plane.
0: I wish I had that kind of budget in my amateur racing stint because uh, <laughs> I definitely was just using uh, aluminum tape. <laughs> Looking forward to, to the upcoming season, you know, what do you think we can, we can have in terms of expectations from Ducati and, you know, did they talk at all about the, the idea of, uh, a commercially available version of this bike? Cause I think that's, that's the mind that's, that's the question on everyone's mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, they spoke very explicitly about this being uh, a platform for learning and understanding, uh, and that there would be a, uh, a replica at some point um, but it won't be twenty. You know, it won't be twenty twenty three. Probably won't be twenty twenty four. It'll be some way down the road. First, they need to understand how to build it. Um, they have to do. It. And also, you said about range. The the interesting thing about a sports bike is that people, when they go out for a sport uh, uh, for a ride on a sports bike, you know, you don't go out for. 12 hours on a sports bike because if you do that uh, then you know your knees hurt and your back hurts and and all the rest of it. And um, I remember having a conversation with uh, Mark Taylor at FTR and he'd been talking to uh, the people at Elmore about their Elmore V uh, the 800 bike about turning that into a road bike and the 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 guys from Elmore were saying yeah but this has got pneumatic valves won't people actually uh well people object to that and Mark said basically, well, first of all it's you know it's a sports bike. You're only going out for an hour. You'll be back in an hour. You know you, you you're not going out for a long time, so it doesn't matter. And the other thing is there's actually loads of kudos of going in with pneumatic valves. You know you can go oh, in. Yeah. I mean yeah, do you have to go you, you go over to the uh, to the pressure hose you just just got to fill up my the uh, pneumatic valves. Uh, it, it's a, it's something a little bit special. And I sort of suspect we're going to see something a bit uh, a bit similar with the uh, with a Ducati. Uh, A motor e bike. They're going to want to make it special. They're going to make it make want to make it you know sort of super uh, something extra you are not going to go touring uh, you, you know you, you're not going to do the run from bologna up to the uh, up to the north cape on um, uh, the northernmost point of europe on your uh, ducati moto e- e- electric bike uh, what you are going to do is you're going to go for a quick blast around uh, i don't know lake garda or whatever um uh, 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 come back have a, a coffee and uh, and a rather nice pastry at the edge looking very very glamorous in your um, in your or G K branded gear and that that's what this bike is going to be it's going to be something exciting it's going to be something interesting but they need to learn and the best way to learn is by is by going racing
0: you know dave there's always some idea that tries to take a panigale around the uh, the world on a <laughs> circumnavigation trip so uh you know i I say time will tell on that one, but I love the image of uh, you know some very uh, fancy Italian motorcyclist and the beautiful yeah like you said Lake Garda somewhere in the 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 foothills of the Dolomites going on for a motorcycle ride and then you know having to pump up his his pneumatic valves with a bicycle <laughs> pump that he borrowed from some kid that was riding by. I like I like that visual. Um, it's interesting to see if you look at Ducati's timeline, they they do say that there's a second generation machine coming. 2025, whether that's the Moto e. no,
1: There's going to be a second rate. uh Again, this was uh, because this was also something Energica did. Basically, part of the contract with Dorna is that uh, you bring a second generation after two years. So, um, between 2023 and 2024, you might see minor tweaks and it'll be... The, the, the tweaks will be sort of in the chassis sort of thing because the... Um, again, this is something that came from their... Uh, the, the things that they learned from... Uh, from the Desmos Adichie. the battery pack is uh, is a stressed member. Um, like a lot of their road bikes, um, it's got a small aluminium bit at the front. Uh, it's got a small aluminium bit, uh, uh, It's got a small aluminium frame at the front connecting uh, the headstock and the front forks. It's got a small, uh, a, a few pieces of aluminium at the back where the swing arm is connected. It's an aluminium swing arm, again, to cut costs. Um, uh, but yeah, the... the, the, the the battery pack is a stressed it, it's a stressed member um uh, there will be sort of up there might be updates in terms of sort of the chassis or whatever but there won't be a big performance update there'll be a big performance update for the the the, the third season which will be the 2025 season that is part of the uh, the, the deal that they have with Dorna
0: that could be really interesting because that gets us back into that three to five years for solid state batteries. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be curious to see if that if that window actually uh, happens, and then we see something that could be could be pretty close to to um, you know production spike production bike levels because you know right now I'm trying to think off the top of my head I don't think the inerticas are quite hitting Moto three performance but they're close. Now, they are.
1: They're they're still uh, sort of several seconds off of uh, off of moto off of Moto three uh, performance, but they're not far. Uh, obviously, yeah. they're making their they're, they're making their um, their lap time in a different way. Uh, I suspect if I had to take a guess, I would I would guess that uh, Ducati would want their Moto e bike to be faster than Moto three bikes. Uh, that yes. would be, uh, and you would sort of like think like. Moto two, because if you look at again, if you look at like top speeds, um, uh, top speed at Magello, um, the the Moto e bike is right in between the Moto three and the and the Moto two uh, bikes. I think the Moto uh, the Moto two bikes are nearly hitting three hundred k's an hour, and the Moto three bikes are about two forty five 250, I think, but two fifty is one hundred thirty five miles an hour or something, one hundred forty miles an hour. Which is, you know, for a two fifty single is um, going some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. When you, when you think about it like that, you realise okay, these things are actually quite quite remarkable. So yeah, you, uh, you, you, I mean, if I had to take a guess, I would I would think that that Ducati would want to be faster than they wouldn't want to be the slowest bike on the grid on a Sunday. Um, uh, so we'll we'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, it'll be uh, an exciting time for for electric motorcycle fans, and I think for racing fans in general. I think it's uh, as I said before, Moto E is some of the best racing. I think that the series is is doing right now. Uh, it's close. It's hard. It's fast. There's crashes.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing is that, like Ducati brings Ducati, instantly transforms it into something serious. Serious. I mean, you know, like a Ducati, you're a serious motorcycle manufacturer, and um, it, you it's it becomes less of a curiosity. Uh, all these small brands are great; they're fantastic. They've, they've produced lots and lots of innovation in the space. Um, but having a big motorcycle manufacturer commit so firmly to uh, to electric bikes actually sort of makes it very very seriously and again the bike looks absolutely fantastic and it looks it, it looks like an extremely desirable machine
0: well David I want to thank you for uh, sitting down and talking to me about uh, electric motorcycles and and the future of Moto E I also want to thank our sponsors Fly Racing and Renthal Street for, for keeping the podcast going and and always uh, thank you to our listeners for, for checking in with us this week and listening to our rants and raves about uh, everything on two wheels so uh, we'll uh, come back to you next week with another episode and until then uh dave enjoy your summer break i am enjoying it already i can't wait to hear about neil's uh, time with the uh, Rockets too i think that's gonna be really <laughs> exciting for him and then steve will just talk about golf and we'll all ignore him it'll be great <laughs> yes exactly and barbecuing
1: he'll be mostly talking oh, about the bar- i do like the barbecuing yeah